Hey fellow superhero cinephiles, did you know that almost 30% of adults say they haven't read a book in the past year? The primary reason why is a lack of time. Well, Audible's here to help with the gift of found time. Thanks to Audible, you can listen to audiobooks like Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, or Slugfest, inside the epic 50-year battle between Marvel and DC. Read up on the history of superheroes in comics and movies with Grant Morrison's Super Gods. You can also check out Vanguard, my original superhero novel series, or try The Vril Agenda or The Adventures of Fortune McCall, both of which were written by our dearly departed host emeritus, Derek Ferguson. Whatever you're looking for, Audible has thousands of titles that you can consume while commuting, exercising, cooking, or just relaxing at home. And not only audiobooks, an Audible membership also gives you access to tons of content like podcasts, theatrical performances, and exclusive Audible originals that you won't find anywhere else. To give you a taste of what you can get, Audible has partnered with this show to provide listeners with a free 30-day trial. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod, and with your free trial, you get one free audiobook and two free Audible originals. In fact, you get to keep those titles even if you cancel before the trial is over. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod and start your free trial today. My name's Arlie, and that's Mondo, Kurt, and Monet. I'm Jubilee. This is Angela. So what's your thing? What's my thing? They want to know what kind of mutant powers you have. Oh, um, I don't know what it's called, but, um, fireworks shoot out of my fingers. It's called thermodynamic emission. Kurt has something similar, and that comes out of his eyes. That's right. I can uh, melt glass and see through pantyhose. Ooh, change those. Can't see through your clothes. Eh, well, not yet, but I'm almost there. Feels subtle, man. Well, what's your dazzle? Dermal flexibility manipulation. His skin stretches. Your skin stretches? For what? <laughs> well, Skin, let's see how well you play football. They should have gone through orientation and then been formally introduced. They should lighten up a wee bit, um. With oversexed mind, which is certainly our tight ass. Now, why don't you wax your chest hair? Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. Uh, in addition to this show, I, ho- I do a few other ones, and one of those is uh, called E for Evolution, where me and two other X-Men fans, we go through and we're doing a reread of Grant Morrison's new X-Men run. And uh, all three of us are also big fans of Generation X, and I've had an idea to talk about that movie for a while on here, so I thought I'd ask them to both come on. And so I'd like to welcome to this show, Patrick Lagois and Oscar Owens. Guys, how are you doing today? Oscar? Okay, I'll go, but I'll go first. I've um, had a pretty hectic day, but I'm really excited to chat about this movie, Generation X. has got uh, a really special place in my heart. And Pat, I, I think I may have mispronounced your last name, so if I did, you know, apologize. Uh, it's all right. Uh, Lagua. Um, okay like L water as I like to sell people. Um, I'm good. I'm looking forward to chat with this movie and I'm glad that I've discovered two other people who know of its existence. So here we go. Um, well, before we jump into that, uh, why don't you uh, tell the tell the view- listeners a little bit about yourselves, uh, how you got into comics, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Oscar, you want to start? Yeah, sure. So I, my grandparents used to own a news agency and we would help them on, on Saturday nights waiting for the Sunday paper delivery. And I would just uh, read all the comics that were in their store. And that sort of is what got me hooked on comics. But X-Men in particular was the cartoon, the good old animated series. That's what drew me to X-Men instead of, well, you know, those little kid comics like um, Scrooge and Archie and all of that stuff. X-Men was sort of was the big grown-up comic books that I started to read. And once you got hooked on it, that was it. I've been a sucker for life now. Mm-hmm. And Pat, how about you? Um, I, I think my um, lifelong addiction started with those trading cards that Marvel was pu- putting out in the 90s. Um, so like in the Philippines where I grew up, kids would 
play all kinds of weird games with these cards, but instead I would read the character biographies on the back. And so that's kind of where I started my lifelong obsession with the X-Men. Yeah, I remember having uh, all those trading cards in the big binder and just... Mm -hmm. um, Unfortunately, I don't have them anymore, but <laughs> those were cool back then. I, I remember looking at those for hours. I still have mine. I've kept it for so long. It's just been sitting in the bottom of a cupboard forever. I should get them out and see if they're worth anything. Um, yeah, just I guess one other digression. I went, we went to a used bookstore one time, and they I don't know how they got their hands on a binder full of like those 1990s Marvel Masterpieces cards with Joe Jusco art, which I just had to buy. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I remember having a few of those. Um, was yeah. that the the Fleet ones or the Flare ones or something like that? I think Fleer published those. Oh, okay. Like they, they commissioned one artist to do the whole set. And so that entire run was by Joe Jusco. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some, I don't think, if I'm a lot of those artists, I don't think they were credited on the cards themselves. But looking back now, I found out like a lot of, Big name artists did a lot of those back then. Oh yeah, like the um, Hildebrand brothers, Joe Jusco, a bunch of others. Yeah. Derek Robertson, Jim Lee, Jim Lee did, did a bunch. Yeah, run. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know. Um, Derek Robertson has posted some on his Twitter feed a few times too that he did back in the day. Um, but also, you know, you mentioned uh the X Men animated series. That's something I wanted to touch on real quick with some of the, the Disney Plus announcements that just came out yesterday. Um. And one of them is uh, ties in directly to what we're talking about today, and that's the the sequel to the X Men animated series, X Men '97. Uh, did you guys have any thoughts about the the recent Disney Plus announcements? Like X Men in particular, or the whole X, thing? the whole thing, but yeah, X Men in particular. Um, I'm excited about Moon Knight. I'm very happy they're leading into like sort of the very the psychological aspects of the character um and i know people are like he's just like batman but i i he is not just like batman and i will die on that hill so i'm really i was really excited about the moon knight parts of that trailer um i am i'm glad they're doing more x-men i just wish it wasn't this x-men but i will not begrudge other people's excitement about the thing oscar how about you anything kind of jump out at you with the the disney plus uh, announcements i'm i well i only seen the x-men one that's the only thing that i sort of read about it but i have a uh, great excitement i'm pumped for it the only thing i i think maybe me and pat might be the same in that i am a little bit trepidatious i think that i would like to see something new mm -hmm. i don't know whether it's a great idea to just rehash the exact same x-men team like i'd really be excited to have um psylocke be a character or some of the new younger characters come through or even just like nightcrawler or iceman or kitty pride or just some of the big names that weren't really much in the cartoon bishop cable mm. there's this that's a great thing with x-men right that the, there's so many characters and they're all rich and so much there to explore yeah, I was also I, looking, sorry, I, was say, I was looking forward to seeing like different costumes as well. But when I think of like the X Men animated series, that's like the the star team, and it's kind of all of their their costumes are like their peak costumes. It's what I think of when I think of them. I always think of Storm with that white outfit, mm -hmm. and Cyclops with his hair sticking out, and Jean Grey with that yellow blue striped outfit. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward. It's looking forward to a bit of an update, but I'm still excited. Yeah, I was. Um, I was kind of. I think Pat, I was very much what you posted on social media. I was very much thinking along the same lines as you. Where it, it's cool, but if they were gonna, but I'd also I'd rather see something new. And if they were going to do a follow up to something, I wish it would have been Wolverine and the X Men mm -hmm. because that ended on such a great cliffhanger. And the X Men animated series, you know you can quibble about how well it was done, but it did get an ending at least. And, and then it, and it got a sequel too in the, the, the X-Men 92 comic, which again, you can mm -hmm. quibble over how well it was done, but it got something. So I'd much rather see like Wolverine and the X-Men picked up again. Although I think the rights are still in question with that too. Yeah. Well, we might be surprised. Like I, I, maybe they'll do something like 
more contemporary, mm-hmm. but they call it X Men '97, so I don't think that's going to happen. But I mean, we'll see. I, I'm glad that there's like new con- X Men content coming to Disney Plus, though. Like that's a move in the right direction. Um, maybe they're testing the waters before Kevin Feige starts getting serious about. Well, I'm sure he's serious about it already, but you know, before they start rolling out. Um, the big guns, I suppose. Yeah, and maybe this could lead to to sequels to some of those other abandoned mm-hmm. shows, like you know that were, in my opinion, were not as um, didn't have as much of an impact, but were actually better quality, in my opinion, like Wolverine and the X Men or Earth's Mightiest Heroes or uh, Spectacular Spider Man. Um, I would love to see a- any of those three come back on Disney Plus or all three, if, if mm-hmm. possible. Um, but yeah, that was the main kind of news I wanted to touch on. But today we're talking about, um, speaking of the 90s, we're talking about the, the 1996 made-for-TV Generation X movie. And this was, uh, this was an interesting time for, for Marvel because they had sold off a lot of their licenses to stuff to help them with bankruptcy. And one of them was... Um, Fox had gotten gotten the rights to a bunch of stuff, and so they Fox had done had planned to do a series of TV movies that were also backdoor pilots. So they ended up only making two because they were terrible because they were they weren't well received. There was the Nick Fury Agent of Shield one with David Hasselhoff, which is surprisingly better than expected. We talked about that way back in an early episode of this show, um, and then the other one was Generation X and. They had also planned to do a few more. I think She-Hulk was one they had planned to do at one point, but after the the response to these two, they just never did. Um, now, um, did you guys watch this at the time it came out? Because I remember when I was, this came out, I think it was I was still in elementary school. And I remember, you know, watching it on TV and recording it. And like being a kid back then, like, and this is like the only live action X-Men content we have. I loved it back at the time, but it hasn't really held up over time. Um, uh, how about you guys? I, I did. And I actually found out about it in the very trusty wizard magazine mm-hmm. because they did uh, an article on it before it came out, which got me really excited. And although I had to like now, kids, if you're listening to this podcast, there were such things back in the day called a TV guide, <laughs> which you pull out to find out what's um, airing on your local television network. So I, I had to like sort of scroll and like read through all those to figure out when it was going to air. And like you, Perry, I also did have to record it, but it just was so such a novelty, like like you'd think if they were going to adapt, adopt a property, like they would have went for the big guns, right? Mm-hmm. But but they went for this one, which I thought was so cool, so niche. What a deep cut. Although now thinking about it, maybe maybe they were like, well, if we mess it up, it's fine. We're not going to damage Wolverine or Storm or, mm-hmm. or those characters because it, it's just this niche book that that nobody really knows about. I suspect that was the case. Mm-hmm. I suspect that was the case. I In Australia, it didn't air on TV. Um, the only thing I knew about it prior to it coming out was, you know, in the comics themselves, they were advertising it with, mm-hmm. the, with the ad pages. And we one day I found it in the, like a blockbuster. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, I have to get this. And I'm pretty sure I was the only person that rented it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Finally, I Finally there was a VHS it. release of this thing. Yeah, in Australia. Yeah. They, um, oh my god. I, I um, you know, watched watched it that way, oh. and I watched it only once on the VHS, and then <laughs> put it away and took it back to the store and was like, oh my god. At the store, they were like, happened. "Why did you bring it back?" Yeah. <laughs> they were like well, yeah, you can keep it you can keep it man yeah. you're the only one we only bought it because you requested it and uh, no one else has wanted it since but um, um you guys i i wait is this no this was not i i i went on ebay to see if i could find it and i got it oh wait it's right here it's right here and you can oh you can buy it for six dollars and 68 cents oh wow but, 
<laughs> but the shipping is thirty dollars from the United Kingdom, so that that may be. <laughs> I mean, this is a movie that if I saw it in like the the five dollar bin at Michael, would you buy it? TV, would you buy it? I don't think I would. I don't. You think don't think I you will? No. I think I will. I think I will. I think I would. <laughs> The completest collectioner in yes. here wouldn't be able to walk past it, right? Absolutely. And, and I mean, it, it's true because I, I have stuff in my shelf that I will never read, but I, I just had to buy them so that the shelf is complete. So I, I absolutely will buy it. Um, I, I I feel like uh, with you two guys, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of like the negative Nancy. I'm the one that's like, I hate that. Oh, that's gross. That's gross. But I, I was expecting to be like it on the rewatch. But I found that I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would have. So, Oscar, I think we're we're swapping our usual roles this time because I'm yeah, we, I'm we the more it. negative one on this one. Hmm. I, uh, I think well, I think there needs to be a bit of um, grace given mm-hmm. to them uh, because one, it is a pilot, and there are plenty of great shows where the pilots weren't great. They're, they're finding their feet, they're figuring it out. There was huge budget constraints. Mm-hmm. And I think they didn't know whether it was going to be a show or a movie. It was just like a testing the grounds kind of thing. And it yeah. was the nineties. It was also the time frame. So it was coming out at the same time as say, I think Buffy was coming out that same mm-hmm. year, right? I believe so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in fact, and if you, also- speaking of pilots, if you watch the original Buffy pilot, not the one that actually aired, but they had done another one before mm-hmm. that with um a different actress playing Willow, and that was really rough. Um, so my point exactly yeah that's exactly my point i think they were coming out against buffy but also like the x-files i can Mm -hmm. see a little bit of x-files-ish influence in it as well and i just think they were just trying the flavors of the month and seeing where it landed and it obviously didn't land well but i think it would have been potential for it to be a buffy-esque type show Mm -hmm. um and i i think just to be clear i I think all three of us will there's sort of a baseline assessment mm-hmm. of the, like it was not good so let me just be clear like <laughs> it was definitely. not good but I definitely I, I, yeah uh, but I think there 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 were just little moments of like hints of mm-hmm. okay they, they got this right Th- this 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 part of it was good but but yeah there is a baseline of like it was not a very good production so it's also really weird because it doesn't it it feels it feels kind of like the gifted in a way in that it's set in this mm-hmm. weird world where mm-hmm. the X-Men have existed maybe, but they never mm-hmm. mentioned them. Although in the gifted, mm-hmm. they at least acknowledge that something happened to the X-Men. Right. But here they're, they're hanging out at the Xavier Institute. Emma used to have students called the Hellions and that there's, was cool. there's like this mutant registration at yeah. mutants are basically outlawed. So you get the feel and they, they talk about superheroes, not as if they're, not a real thing right when they pick up jubilee and she's mm-hmm. and you know banshee tells her we're training you to be a superhero and she says oh do i have to wear one of those costumes that all superheroes wear and the way she says it you don't get the feeling that she's saying it as if like she's talking about comic books or something like they're real exactly right? yeah. like they're real and and then emma just responds like oh you'll be given a uniform just like it's like the most natural thing so it was really interesting at that time because this was a time when superhero when you saw superheroes in live action, unless it was like Batman, they were embarrassed to be regarded as superheroes. Mm-hmm. And I did get such quite a kick out of that. The Hellions mention, mm-hmm. like, what a cool bit of continuity in this otherwise hodgepodge mess of a thing <laughs> that I am experiencing right now. I seen that and I thought of the Hellions reference as like a hint of the future. Mm-hmm. Right, that they were even though they're referencing a past event, I thought, oh, that's a little nugget that they're going to explore later on. Um, later on in the series, I, I found out later that apparently it was just going to be a series of movies, but um, TV movies only. But I, I think it would have done well had it been a series, yeah. I think the, it, the Hellions it, reference was one, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the town kids as well. Like, I could have seen them being uh, characters later on as well. Well, also, I mean, they don't really do anything with the whole mutant registration stuff outside of the beginning. So that felt like mm-hmm. also like a, a future plot point to be picked up if it had been, if it had went to series. What do you guys think about the casting? Okay, so, um, well, straight up, this is, I mean, 
let's be real, the competition is not fierce, but this is straight up the best live action version of Emma Frost we've gotten. As, as the um, chairperson of the Michigan Emma Frost Fan Society, I would have to co-sign <laughs> that statement. I, I mean, the, the, she's, one of, she's one of the few things that the thing gets right. It, mm-hmm. And also, you know, comic accurate costume, I, the ca- wig aside. but again, Wig aside like, and, you know, wig aside, and tinfoil boots. boots. <laughs> yes, um, but I, I think she's one of the few things in the in the show that they did such a good job translating. Um, also, it was weird that her jacket seemed a little bit too big, so I guess the tailor could only make one version of it. Although, actually, if, if you look at how Bacalo drew it in the comics, it, it it's, it, oh, okay. I think the proportions are good. I think okay. that that's how he drew it. I mean, I don't know if they meant like I, I'm not sure if they were like, oh, we need to we need to do it like Bacalo did, or if they were just like, that's what you're gonna wear. But I, I think that was it was it was accurate. Yeah, she definitely had the best lines, mm-hmm. and she it was true to the comic character. She's such a great character, and it surprises me that they haven't put her in any of the the X Men films because there's such a a deep reverence for that character. Um, well, I mean, I mean they technically right. I think did put they her. Did. In, they put her in two uh, films, but you know, but well, it, it wasn't really. It wasn't really her, though. <laughs> no, exactly. It's not like what the X Men Origins, I think, or the Wolverine Origins. Where yeah, she, she was in that where she played like, in one it. Of the, Yeah, and then also in First in Class, first class. Mm-hmm. where she's basically Shaw's secretary. Oh my God, January Jones. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. she was. That was the most wooden performance of any character in any film I think I've ever seen. But um, I'm not sure if the name of the actress that did, did in that played Emma in the Generation X film. Sorry, that was uh, there. Uh, in this Finola. one, it's Finola Hughes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she uh, seemed to relish in that that role. Mm-hmm. She she she's still a soap opera actress. I, I'm guessing. Yeah, she's been. Yes. We were talking uh, before you kind of jumped on, mm-hmm. and she's been on like a thousand episodes. Was yeah, a thousand <laughs> over a thousand episodes of General Hospital. She's been on it since okay. 1985, and she's still well, on she's it. Got- She's definitely got that soap actor vibe, mm-hmm. but um, she's she looked like she was enjoying it, and uh, it, it comes across. And what I, did you I guys think, think about oh, um, uh, Banshee? I, so it, I go ahead, Pat. I, I that's another thing. Good thing I think that they did is they really did a good job of sort of capturing that bickering parent dynamic mm-hmm. between them. Um, and so I think he did a really good job of sort of being like the cool, the cool yet still very like holding the reins uncle, right? Um, so yeah, I, I think he did a good job, even though they had him dressed like <laughs> he's about he's he's like he's two minutes away from going clubbing at any at any point. Like he's I, oh my he's god dressed and he's on the way to the Roxbury, everybody. I couldn't understand that for the life of me. I mean, I can understand you don't <laughs> want to go with the the blue and yellow the, the, yeah, 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 anymore yeah, in, in Generation sure. X. So I mm-hmm. I get that, but I mean, like, you figure they at least give him like a you know like the '90s X Men bomber jackets they all wore or something. But it or just... or even if if they want to go cheesy, I remember I I think it's around issue twenty four or twenty five where they, they had him wearing like this Irish green bomber jacket situation. Like, yeah, like the yeah. Celtics jacket. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the, that, um, I would have, I would have gone for that. That that would have been cool. I I did enjoy the the slight sexual tension between the two of them. You know that mm-hmm. they used to have, where she mm-hmm. would outrageously flirt with him to try and um, belittle him, and he would just rebuff it uh, fiercely. And I enjoyed that they they brought that in as well. I um. I think the biggest. Thing of the casting we've got is that um what do you guys think about white jubilee well first i want I, to also mention about jeremy ratchford uh, a few other things um mm-hmm. one of one of the cool things is he actually did the voice of banshee on the in the animated series too um, um so and i thought is he, he irish no that's the thing like that's the, <laughs> definitely not <laughs> He's an uh, actor. Wow. Okay, Oscar. He's an actor. His uh, his accent was, <laughs> you know, a little bit over the top, shall we say? Mm-hmm. But um, but overall, I thought he did a he did a pretty decent job. And like you guys said, like capturing the. I, I also thought he looked like Banshee from the comics. Mm-hmm. 
he definitely mm-hmm. kind of he red lack of red hair aside he definitely looked that part mm-hmm. um and again you know he's you know you compare him to um caleb landry jones and i think that's who, who played him in first class mm-hmm. which was okay but didn't have much to do so again we've got the best banshee and the best emma frost in live action we've seen so far um but yeah white jubilee that's just i I guess like they're thinking in the nineties TV studio thinking is like, you know, okay, well we've got um, of the student group, we've only got two white students so far. Right. So we have to have another white student, maybe to balance it out. Was that the logic? I'm imagining it has to be. I'm like, but it's like, but you already got like, was it, it already had three non-white act. Just go for a fourth one. Like it, it's fine but that was the logic back then in the 90s that you know it's like you can't have too many non-white people as the lead character as the lead actors in your in your tv show but it's kind of symptomatic i guess of like what they do with the other characters because it really feels like they just sort of took these concepts and Mm -hmm. character names and then they they just ported it over to these very I think I know we were chatting about this earlier. This very sort of milk toast type of characters, yeah. Like it feels like they, like these characters have to go through these motions to like check off plot points, and and then we're just going to sort of put this veneer of the code name and the powers on them. Because with Jubilee, okay, well one, she's she's white, and two. Like, I didn't really feel, and this is true of her and Skin, too, like, there wasn't anything on the screen that I felt was like, oh, that's Jubilee, and that's mm-hmm. Skin. I feel like they they got stripped of all the things that made them who they are. I think basically the all, the, all the students, except for M, got the, had that happen to them. Like, they were all basically stripped um, of what they were. And to push well, back a little bit. Okay. To confirm Mondo, we didn't really know, so there's yeah. not a lot of room to, like, yeah. I'm going to push back here a little bit on with this, you guys. I, the, the comic had only been out for like two years when this came through. So I think they had gotten only up to about issue 25-ish. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, well, well, first of all, just with Jubilee, and this is a little bit embarrassing to admit, but I didn't know that she was Asian. That, that's actually know. fair. Like when I was a kid, I think I didn't really know either from the animated series. I really did. The animated series that never, I didn't think I even once mentioned that she was Chinese. And when I started reading the books, um, she was already a member of the team. And just, I started reading the books roughly just before the Phalanx Covenant mm-hmm. came through. Um, so there'd been a few, around Uncanny X-Men 300-ish. Um, yeah, and when um, and at that time, I believe Joe Moderero was doing the art and he didn't really draw mm-hmm. her as 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 asian as he had drawn like say psylocke mm-hmm. exactly and if you look at generation x like the first issue um i think the first splash page is jubilee and she's talking with husk and she's looking mm-hmm. at her watch and something she does mm-hmm. not look asian um she has no asian features at all she looks white mm-hmm. so i didn't really realize at first that she she wasn't uh, i remember um, that actually um wizard had done a one of their casting call articles about generation x and they put on there when they picked jubilee they said you know we think we can get away with casting a white actress for this and they wow. picked they even they picked a white actress in their casting wow well i think the actress that played jubilee did probably one of the best jobs um on the film like i think she was probably the, the standout actress for me she's also um, seems to have had the biggest career of any of them afterwards heather mccomb Okay, well, that makes sense. But in terms of what they got from the character, I think with Skin, I think, like I remembered in the first couple of issues, he was in the computer room, right? And he had that thing about he was worried about getting his skin cut or torn. And I think they just grabbed that bit of his character and explored it to say, well, you're going to be the computer guy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it just sort of didn't come from nowhere. Um, the only... Uh, M, I felt like, you know, the the character with her where she was unafraid to show her powers in public and that was a very Monet mm. character but I didn't ever remember her being quite as rude mm-hmm. and bully she was like real straight up like aggressive to Jubilee like you know watch yourself and I just couldn't imagine her being like that um and Mondo was the 
the one where I was like, well, we really know nothing about him. So they've just turned him into a jock instead of like an overweight Samoan guy that's mm. easygoing. That seemed like the most drastic. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like they just grabbed little snippets of the character and then translated them to film. Mm-hmm. Rather well, than we'll just... say that Jubilee had one of the best lines in this movie, which looking back, I'm surprised that I'm not sure if this was like if this was sent, I can't remember if this was censored when it was aired or what, but when Skin's talking about um, Russell Tresh the next day after they do the, the dream walk thing and she says, are you fucking nuts? I cosmically shit my fucking pants. Mm. I'm like, wait a minute, that's two F-bombs right, right in a made-for-TV movie. I'm pretty sure they censored that. They had I'm, to have, yeah. I'm pretty sure. They didn't on the, the copy that I watched. No, no, the one we we found was a, a YouTube video, and yeah, they and I made no, 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 like, like the originally. I, oh, I okay, remember okay. Watching it and being like, oh my god, Jubilee said fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was oh, she did the best she could with the material she had. I think basically is what we can come down to with her, mm-hmm. um, and she wasn't given whole. Which also I thought was kind of weird for this movie to to center it so heavily on skin when mm-hmm. Jubilee's the character everybody who knows knows yeah. in this thing she's like the biggest character in this movie so mm-hmm. it felt really weird to center it on skin instead of centering it on jubilee agreed agreed i i, I also didn't like how they kind of cw-ified skin mm-hmm. right he's supposed mm-hmm. to have come from like a really rough part yes. of los angeles and instead he came from like this beautiful house and uh Although his dad drives this really old truck for some reason that looks like it's from the 1940s. Mm -hmm. I was like, this guy is not from a rough neighborhood. That is a much nicer house than mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they really kind of polished off his edges to the point that, yeah, like this, to me, he was the like very unrecognizable mm-hmm. from the source material and i mean i'm not someone who's like they have to be exactly the same but i mm-hmm. feel like they sort of hollowed out the core of like what made him so interesting in the comics i think it was also interesting is that they it feels like they were trying to and again i'm not sure what the studio logic was but it feels mm-hmm. like they were trying to not make him too stereotypical by going with like you know you know, Latin gangbanger kid or anything like that. So they give him this nice house and all that. But when he's talking to to Kayla, you know, he's talking about how this new, he's talking about like almost like a gang initiation thing type of thing, right? And then, <laughs> and then, um, and, and he's also doing the very stereotypical thing where he's sprinkling in Spanish in all his sentences. Mm-hmm. So it feels like they were trying to, they didn't really know what they were doing with it. But at the same time, they just, I guess they figured like, oh, we'll just make him a computer hacker and that'll, and give him a nice house and that'll excuse any of the stereotypical stuff. I did find as well when he was um, uh, pursuing that, that town girl, it was made me really uneasy. Mm-hmm. He was like, when he was smiling off at her, I was like, oh my God, dude, like you look like a creep. Like <laughs> that's not sexy at all. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys think they missed the mark there? I like that whole situation is creepy and like you know going to her in her dreams and then working with with Russell and just like that that whole thing was just very yeah. Like I I feel like they they attempted to try to sort of make it like a very cutesy meat like Mm. like a very adorable meat cute type of a situation but I'm like that just that did not work that way. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, so like the whole idea of the dream sequence why is that you go into people's minds and then get them to do things that they don't want to do right yeah so it's pretty creepy to have a guy that he's then goes into the girl's brain that he fancies to make her then fancy him it's like oh that's a bit i don't know i don't like it it doesn't and there's also well. no real reason for it because she clearly is a you know, she's interested in him when they first meet in town, and that's before the, any of the dream stuff. So it just right. it feels like a weird excuse to have Russell. I, maybe that was something they were trying to do, like you know, oh, she liked you all along. You never had to do this, but never quite translated in the in the movie. I don't know. Well, a lot it, of the relationship things were a bit gross. Like I think with Buff and uh, oh, refracts, refracts, refracts. Right? You know, he's a bit of a creep to her. Mm-hmm. And then 
he apologizes and she's like, oh, everything's wonderful. You know, he, he like, mm-hmm. almost sexual, well, he does talk about groping her, you know, which I, I was like, well, it's like sexual assault. And then yeah. he uses her powers on, to uses his powers so he can see her naked. And and then it, in defense, he was, behavior, the, the, the powers did kick in accidentally, like, and then he, and he yeah. shut his eyes there. So that was, yeah, we'll, we'll give him that. But he did say that he groped her when they were, yeah, that was, that was football fucking or whatever. Crazy. And I was like, oh my God, that's so wrong. And then he just apologizes and she smiles and that's it. They're all is forgiven. Mm-hmm. Say girls, when boys be creepy to you, once they say, sorry, you just say, thank you. It's also very tacked on, right? It just like, like we're about to go into this mission. He's like, oh, hold on. I have to apologize to her first. Oh, it was well, gross. And I mean, as, as I think with a lot of things that happen in the, 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 the movie, um, like it feel, and I know like the writers make things happen in the script, but here that the sort of, like it's, it seems more obvious in, in that like things just had to happen because the plot, required mm-hmm. it to happen like skin had to do that so like russell trash would be introduced into their yeah. lives um without it feeling it was very contrived i guess mm-hmm. is what i'm trying to say yeah what do you guys think of the the new additions to the team because they couldn't do husk and chamber because of their powers so instead they brought in these new characters buff and refrax i like isn't buff kind of husk already but with a I, that's what I like. It seems like she seems like she's husk already. But basically, yeah, side. just with different yeah. powers. Yeah. Yes. And also, I'm like, why is she embarrassed? Because she's, uh, oh my god, I'm just realizing because she's buff. Um, <laughs> I just, I just felt like, girl, that, that's nothing to be embarrassed about. Like you kick ass. That's that's cool. I mean, it's such a weird. Like I knew what they were trying to go for. Like you know, growing up and teenagers and your mm. body's awkward and all that stuff but i'm like you know like a a lady being strong i I feel like it's not a thing to be embarrassed about i I, while i agree it's not nothing it's not something to be embarrassed about i did like the the idea of bringing in that um body conscious issues Mm. and and her having um you know a real issue with with the way the mutation has affected her body and i thought that was a really smart way to do it it surprises me that they said that budgetary constraints meant they couldn't have husk because I thought, how easy would it be for her to just pull her arm and show like um, I'm thinking of like you know, monster type arm or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a, surely it wouldn't cost that much money. I can understand chamber being like mm. that, but it costs it costs a lot, a lot less money than just having a girl wearing big sweaters. Right. That is exactly right, and and paying a bodybuilder to do that one little mm. scene with the, the shirt mm-hmm. off, you're, you're and correct. The, and the cut in that scene is so terrible, though, because it's so obvious that she's when it cuts to to her turning, it's so obvious that she's got a <laughs> you know um, a regular slim body underneath that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Though I'm, yeah, I mean, hey, like if uh, they have to. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I can understand that the the budgetary constraints have affected the the roles of those two characters mm. and and obviously it's i think in terms of ali it saved a lot of money um yeah. and she was still like quite an interesting character and i like the body issue stuff but with refrax i think um i actually enjoyed his character too and i remember thinking like oh, i hope that they bring him onto the team in the comics as well i i liked his character um it was interesting it was something different it was a bit cyclopsy but not really cyclopsy um that, that was cool it they were never going to be able to put chamber on there mm. one little side note when i was reading the comics i always read it in my head as chamber okay. instead of chamber mm. so every time i go to say chamber now i have to like question myself because i've just read it as chamber in my head for the last mm. 20 years mm-hmm. for the longest time i was worried about i was pronouncing magneto right because i think it was spider-man and his amazing friends pronounced it magneto when i was a kid and i'm just like Shit, am i saying it right and then and then the tv show pronounced then when the animated series pronounced magneto i'm like okay i'm fine although i i, I will say for chamber i feel like maybe there's a way they could have done it where because i mean in the comics he, he has that part covered like yeah. the majority of the time so you could just have an actor come on and 
sort of be like 2020, have a face mask all the time. Um, and then maybe just spend the money every now and again when he used, you know, when he does the thing. Um, well, I mean, you could easily have it like just because it's those straps. Oh, like a little bit. Yeah. Like a little bit, like a little tiny yeah. bit. Um, although I, I suppose it could get old, like to the point where how come he never uses his powers? He just has that thing on all the time. Yeah. I mean, well, Refrax uses his powers like once in the whole movie. anyway. That's true. That's true. <laughs> So it wouldn't have been a big deal. I think it was that part of that was also so that they could have that scene where he accidentally x-rays Buff's mm. thigh too. So, <clears throat> um, so they had to have some reason for that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I thought they were okay. I, you know, I thought they were good enough characters, although I thought it was weird that Refrax wears sunglasses all the time where he doesn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> like, it'd be one thing if at least his, he had, had like colored contacts or something so that his eyes are unnatural and that's why he does it. Um, but otherwise it was just weird that he's, he's always wearing sunglasses when he doesn't need them to control his powers or, or hide his eyes or anything like that. Cause he's cool. Okay. Mm. Perry. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I, I thought his eyes did look a bit weird. Like weren't they like a bit bruised around his, the skin and stuff? I, I think now that you mentioned, I think I did remember noticing something like that, but only in the car scene. I didn't really notice it any other times. Yeah, I, I thought his eyes did look a bit weird, and that's why he was wearing them. <laughs> but they weren't like bright colored red contact, yeah. contacts or something like that, which they could have been, and it wouldn't have cost a lot to do. You're, you're correct. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't like Mondo was completely nothing like the guy in the comics, but I, I did think he had some good moments, though. Um, I thought his character was written terribly basically he's just written to be the 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 dick jock character mm-hmm. um but i did think he had like i did like the exchange when they're talking about you know he's like what you should stay away from jello and he's like he's like hey man i hate jello he's like getting very serious yeah. about it <laughs> <laughs> i didn't realize exactly how mondo's powers worked until i watched the movie and i think the movie showed how his powers worked much better than the comic book did that's one mm-hmm. thing that the movie did better than the comics you know to grab something and that's what you turn into i think they ever really showed that in the books i think that is he just so he's basically like absorbing man basically yeah essentially okay although it's more visual Organic? i guess yeah more visual than absorbing man i guess like absorbing mm. man it's just like i guess he doesn't but he, he his body seems to change more drastically than absorbing man's does mm. but yeah okay all right and yeah, I think you're right. I think it is only organic stuff he absorbs too. Yeah, I think it's just organic stuff because um, he, he can't do um, metals and stuff mm. like like absorbing man can. Um, so then that brings us to uh, to M. What'd you guys think of her? I, I did think, I get what you're saying, um, Oscar, about her being a little bit too rude, but I did like that they made an attempt to to give her this kind of like haughty personality and where she thinks she's better than everybody else. She's, she was such a non-presence to me in the show. Like, cause M's probably my, of the student, my favorite character on the roster. Um, but yeah, like she, she just seems to be there to, to be mean to Jubilee. And then you know, she <laughs> shows up and she's like, Oh, I'm, I'm haughty. I'm much better than you. But, we don't really get a sense that of like how, why she would feel that way besides yeah. like, you know, like, Oh, I have a really cool power set, which is a part of it. But like in the comic, it, it also has a lot to do with her upbringing, like who her family is, the fact that she's filthy rich. Um, and her dad is a, a, like, ambassador. An ambassador, yeah. like a big political muckety muck mm-hmm. um, that we don't really get in the show. Like, and it's a limited runtime, but I feel like the, that's the kind of character development they could have squeezed in for her. And it wouldn't be hard, right? It no, wouldn't be hard for them if to just bring, just bring in some dialogue about how rich yeah. she is and how, you know, Mention she's really who, slumming yeah. it there with the kids, right? Um, yeah, and, and who her daddy is, right? mm-hmm. who her father is. I thought it was also weird that they excluded her flying because that would actually give her something to do in the in this scene at the end, the, in the climactic fight scene when Skin pulls Russell Tresh over the abyss with him. Like you'd have M fly in after him and that would actually give her something to do, but which would be pricey, and sa- though, to save him. Right? Right? I mean, yeah. it, I don't think it, I think it'd be cheaper than doing the weird rubber hand thing actually. Cause all you got to do is have her on cables. Mm. But uh, well, let's, can we talk about that fight scene? Cause 
I'm still so confused by it. Like, it's all meant to be psychic, right? Like, it's all in the dreams, right? Like, it's not a physical. Well, she does say it's a dimension, so it's. What does that mean? I don't know. It's like, <laughs> like so much about this dream what dimension. What does that mean? The the whole dream dimension plot is is is, is held together with chewing gum at best. <laughs> the dream dimension is like the astral plane, right? That's how I read it. Maybe I don't know, but then they're going in physically, and their their powers all work just like normal, and they've got all this. I don't know what the hell's going on, and that's with that whole thing. I think the main problem with the scene, despite you know the plot holes and all of that stuff, is that they were so wooden. They were all standing still. Mm -hmm. There was it's like every character was standing still until it was their turn to say a line, (laughs) and then they would step forward. It was almost like a high school play. The way they had done that, uh, thought, oh, there's no. It wasn't dynamic. It mm-hmm. wasn't. Um, yeah, there's, there was a lot of problems with that fight scene. It was very anticlimactic, and yeah, they, they could have whatever money they did have, they should have spent on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I well, mean, the- I think the director, the director thought if he just tilted the camera mm-hmm. and had like a slight tilt of the camera, then that would sort of make up for oh the lack God. of everything else. <laughs> this director. <laughs> I'm convinced if Dutch Angles were a person, this director would fuck them. Because Jesus <laughs> Christ, he's in love with Dutch Angles. He's, 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 he loves also, them, okay. Like, and the colored lights, right? The, the background oh, yeah. colored lights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's put a green colored light there. And then for the next one, we'll tilt it to the left and we'll do a red <laughs> colored light. And that will just show everyone that this is something, you know, freaky. The, um, the addition of the electric guitars I loved, though, so you knew that, that mm. something was wrong. It was very like Melrose Place, like the electric <laughs> guitar comes in. Okay, you know it's a bad guy. I had but to, it was um, made for kids as well, right? This show was aimed at kids, right? Kind well, of. Like, maybe not, teenagers? Yeah, I, I think maybe teenagers. Um, yeah. I did think it was also weird with the, the colors were just so weird in this. I had to change the settings of my TV just to make sense of what's happening half the time in it. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, you know, kudos again to Finola for delivering that line about the portal, mm-hmm. like with, with all the seriousness and like, gravitas that she can muster. Because I'm like, that is the most nonsensical thing that I have ever heard. I think the bet, my favorite line of hers in the movie is when um, they're in class and Kurt asks, how are we supposed to relax and concentrate at the same time? She's like, make believe you're playing with yourself. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was mm-hmm. very good. I was like, oh, wow, that's, uh, I forgot that line. That was probably the best comeback I thought ever. Mm-hmm. And that was pure Emma Frost, right? Mm-hmm. It's exactly something I would see her saying. Um, and then I guess time to talk about the, the big bad in this movie, Russell Tresh. Um, <laughs> or as I'd like to call him, Matt Frewer playing himself as, as he usually. Uh, yeah, yeah. Runs. It's like, <laughs> Matt, like everyone says, oh, he's doing a Jim Carrey thing. I'm like, well, no, Matt Frewer no. was doing this before Jim Carrey. He was yeah, yeah, Jim yeah. Carrey before Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. But it is. Well, I'm not, I'm not aware of him. Uh, so I'm one of those people saying uh, he's, uh, you know, Jim Carrey that you bought off Wish. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I'm telling Matt Even, Frewer you said that. Well, you can feel free, <laughs> feel free. Um, but I think if Jim Carrey is copying Matt Frow, then Jim Carrey did it better. Like there was just uh, when you, uh, if you look, if just, this is your only exposure to Matt Frewer, this is yes, not I his agree. best work. This is yeah, no, no, definitely not, not his best work by any means. Um, <laughs> did you guys ever watch Supernatural TV show? I've seen I a few episodes. Okay, uh, he plays Pestilence in the fifth season i think it is and he was really good in that he's like sufficiently he's like he's like got this calm creepiness the whole time and it's just and you know I, i'm watching that and i'm re-watching this when he's doing like this manic frank gorshin like impersonation i'm like actually mm-hmm. he would have made a really good riddler um yeah actually yeah i think jim watch- carrey did a good regular as well <laughs> We'll have to agree to disagree on that. <laughs> I think uh, maybe I have to rewatch it though. Just uh, it's been you know, a, a long time, but I think it that would be the only Batman villain that I would see Jim Carrey as. I, I could see him as a if he's because he's done serious stuff, right? If, if he's doing if he, I could see him doing a better job if he was doing a serious version of the Riddler. But doing the but when he's trying to do the Frank Gorshin impersonation, he just can't pull it off as well as Frank Gorshin did. 
Um, but yeah, the whole this the thing about the dream dimension is just it's so bizarre to me why they even use this because they've got the whole mutant registration angle. You've got the whole mutant experimentation thing. I don't know why you need to go into this dream stuff. Yeah, I I don't really see what like it's such a weird thing to pit them against. Like the aside they from just, like yeah, they could have just gone in and tried to rescue him from taking the part of his brain out right they didn't have to do it within the dream dimension right mm -hmm. but it gives them an opportunity to um dispose of the the bad guy and leave it open for the bad guy to come back mm -hmm. although if they this is going to series i don't think anybody would have wanted to see this bad guy come back <laughs> <laughs> i suspect you may be right there i i i i was interested. I was like, oh, why aren't they getting M plate? You know, like someone that mm -hmm. that yeah. is after mutants and ex has an especial um, appetite for young mutants. You're right. Yeah. And like it's basically, that and that is basically the plot of the movie in a way, right? Like it's you know, it's some creepy guy who's kidnapping mutants for their essence. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, it, it it's it's very possible if had they done M plate that he would have looked cheesy. But I mean, um, I, I think it would have been a much better approach. Though. I mean, I wouldn't have even it would given the budget constraints. I would have been fine if they didn't go the full the full. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if they just gave him like a mask or something like that, I would have mm -hmm. been fine with that. That's fine. Yeah. So I think this is the bu budget light version <laughs> of um, M plate, right? Very, very budget mm -hmm. light. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, also, I thought it was weird how after skin frees him from the the mental hospital. Like he's skin's obviously in better shape than him. He skin's got his own powers. So how does he kidnap him and take him back to this laboratory? The power of plot, Terry, and stuff <laughs> needs to happen. Okay. Yeah, we stuff didn't get to see how he stuff needs to happen. It just happens because it does. You know, mm -hmm. he yes. just suddenly appears in the hospital to rescue him with all of that equipment. He just magically teleported in, but we don't need to know that. Yeah, this is also the uh, the first appearance of. Then this this is another tie in to um, the the X Men movies because uh, Hatley Castle is used as the the setting for um, the Xavier Institute in this, and it's also used in the many of the x-men movies it was used in the, the the first three movies and it was used in days of future past and apocalypse as well and deadpool. And De deadpool as well yeah mm -hmm. there were this is wasn't wasn't that castelloma no i think that may have been the one that was used in first class the first class because okay. there was a different one they used in first class but it was mm -hmm. hatley castle in most of the movies and then um and hatley castle it was also the luther mansion in smallville and the queen mansion in the early seasons of arrow it's on my bucket list of um, movie set places I'd like to see in real life. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful and uh, I can see why they used it in the following films after watching it being used in Generation X. It's a perfect yeah. mansion. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was a, and it's, you know, a possible tie into the movies later on too. Mm -hmm. Although if we were being um, super accurate and nerdy pedantic, we, I mean, but they were headquarters at the Massachusetts Academy though, not, not the mansion. Well, yeah. in the comics, but the, yeah. I had looked it up cause he had mentioned, cause one of the townies mentions haste, welcome to Hastings. Mm -hmm. And I looked it up and it, and I found there's a bunch of places called Hastings and one of them is a place in New York. Okay. okay. So, so I think maybe they were trying to go for New York, New York yeah. there. Um, I don't know. What, what would you guys? guys sorry, what, what I was going to say. What, what What do you guys rate this film out of a ten? What would Oof. you give it? Um, point five. <laughs> I think I I think I would go for like maybe a a, a mid four. I would say. Four well, that's generous of, of you. That's not that's generous. I'm I'm four okay. out of ten. How about you? Uh, I, I, I think I'm going to modify mine because I was thinking of, because I, I had rated this on Letterboxd, but Letterboxd uses a five-star system. So based on that, it was point on the 10-point system, I guess maybe two. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to be smack in the middle and say about a three. I'll say about a three. It, it did have some good points to it. And mm. I think um, you, to take it what it is, I think it's a lot of, it's a product of its time. It's a pilot. It had those t- maybe too big of an influence of the X-Files and Buffy and 90210. And it was trying to be edgy when it shouldn't. But there were still some nuggets of goodness there with Emma Frost and mm-hmm. the actual concept of the school commutants and, and the look of it, you know, the castle. And the characters were ripe for development. It, it had it really had potential. What do you guys think of the the Generation X uniform they used at the at the end there? Because I thought they actually did Loved a pretty it. good job with that. It Loved was. It. I, I mean, I'll it. give them props for that moment. I, it, it was, it was, it was a bracing moment. Although, it looked a bit like the material just looked a bit a bit off to me. Like mm-hmm. I, I wasn't super convinced of its fidelity. But I mean, again, it's all about like translate things that look good on the page may not look good on it, the screen. Maybe, but they, they did good for what they had, I thought. Maybe if they made it more like a leathery material that, yeah. like, say, the Scarlet yeah. Witch wears in the WandaVision and stuff like that. Like, if they made yeah. it more leather kind of thing, yes. it might be a bit better. Mm-hmm. But I still loved how true it was to the comics. I loved the color. I, uh, I just thought it was great. I, for me, that was a moment where I was like, ah. <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed when I first saw this movie because I remember they showed the clip of, of Buff in the uniform in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. And I was expecting to see them in the uniforms a lot more instead of just like that one scene of Buff at the end. Well, so. it's interesting they've got that as the thumbnail, right? For the mm-hmm. YouTube, when you, when you find this on YouTube, they've got that picture of Buff with the uniform on as the thumbnail. So that really is the, the true climax, I guess, of the film rather than the fight with Russell. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think if this had gone to series? Do you think it would have been, how do you think, do you think it would have been, uh, a, worth a watch? Like, do you think it would have been as something like, it would it be something we remembered, like we remember Buffy or even the Incredible Hulk, or would it be something more like the, um, the, the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man? What's the, Nick? see, uh, that proves your point. What's the Nicholas there, Hammond Spider-Man? It was, uh, it was the, it was the night, in the 1970s, they did, CBS did a, a Spider-Man, live action Spider-Man TV show. Okay. Starring Nicholas Hammond. Um, I mean, we don't, I guess we can't really say for sure, but I feel like Fox got the chance to maybe do it better with a higher budget with The Gifted. But yeah. I really wouldn't call that something memorable or like appointment watching either mm-hmm. yeah so, well, i only watched like a couple of episodes of yeah that. um so I, I don't know like i feel like and i hate to give him too much credit but it's deserved like unless it's like kevin feige and those guys doing it like mm-hmm. i just i don't have a lot of faith i was gonna say i feel like it would depend upon who was in charge right if yeah it was, for like, sure yeah just, like joss whedon fantastic job of Buffy and if he had been in the helm of Generation X then I think it would have been a success mm-hmm. but uh, so, so the, I guess what that means and we're all kind of agreement on this right I, I think the concept is great the characters are great it's the execution is where they failed and, and, it, and I sorry go ahead Pat um, and I think what makes things that are successful like adaptation successful is like if they really respect and commit to the concept of the characters mm-hmm. um and i didn't really get a sense of that in the pilot or, or this installment and so like i think if they really commit to the characters full like fully it could be good but i, I don't really i didn't see their intent to do that in the pilot yeah i think it and you know it's weird it's funny you mentioned uh talking about Buffy and, and Josh Whedon because you think about it Buffy at the end it kind of was you know high school with superpowers which because yes. all the all the other characters eventually did develop powers anyway mm-hmm. um and yeah if if this had if they had waited like two years before they decided to do this I think they probably would have tried to get Josh Whedon to do it instead and it probably would have been much better hmm. was Buffy on in was was that a Fox show in America WB WB Okay. Eventually became, but no, but value. actually, but it, it, no, you're, you're, it was Fox produced it, right? But it aired, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yep. So it was they technically own, they own the rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so that's interesting. Maybe they thought that there was, uh, you know, they already had the one hit one. They didn't have to do another one, which is very un-Hollywood, right? Like normally mm. once you've got something that's successful, then they just hammer it to death. Well, I think this, I'm not sure exactly in the timeline, but I don't think Buffy was a real hit at this point. Like Buffy, I think it became a hit after this. Um, well, I, and I don't think it was ever like, I guess, like a quote unquote hit like what they would consider a hit like mm-hmm. if you were like an abc or nbc show like it definitely had like a solid cult following yeah yeah and and it did really well for for the network that it was airing on but i don't think like the bean counters would would have ever called it a hit right something. it wasn't like x-files numbers or anything no like it wasn't like yeah, friends same. numbers by yeah. any means <laughs> yeah so yeah um that's probably why too that and so and plus this one because they had a, there were a lot of talk about doing this as a as a TV show. That was, they were planning to do it, and then the the ratings on this were and the and the reviews were just so t- merciless that they're just like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Well, the reviews were were fair, I think, Merc- mm-hmm. merciless, but also fair. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, I, I do. I do wonder though. Like, did did they think they were making something? let's go with okay because or, or, or were they just phoning it in like or, or were they thinking like no this is good what we did was it was as good as it could be that that's so hard to tell because i've seen some stuff that i'm just like you know these people are not serious about this and then you hear them talking <laughs> right? interviews and it's like holy shit no they really are serious they were earnest so no, but I, it, I mean like you watch the in fact you watch the there's a there's a documentary about the roger foreman fantastic four movie mm-hmm. um and but like we know that was act- just to, to retain the rights. Well, that, that was Roger knew Corman, that, right? That was Roger. Not the actors didn't know that. Oh, the actors didn't know that. No, 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 no. Oh, nobody involved okay. in the actual, it, nobody who was actually involved <laughs> in production knew about that. It was oh, only no. like Roger Corman and the upper people who knew that. Did, he, yeah, uh, did he ever tell them? They didn't find out until later. And like you wow. listen to those actors and they're like heartbroken over the fact that it was not, that it was, that it was shelved and everything. And then when they, mm-hmm. they felt, they felt betrayed and they're like, mm. and they had like really taken it seriously. And it's just like, Oh my God, these guys are really earnest. <laughs> it's just weird thinking like now, like comparing now and back then mm. where now it's like such a well-oiled, tightly controlled machine with, I mean, there's a lot of quality control, I think to the point and where people like the, the regular critique of marvel like you know it's become road and routine like it's the same film every time but it's just amazing that like back then before all this came into play like somebody just created this generation x tv movie and they thought i'm just going to be generous and say you know what they thought it was good Mm -hmm. they thought it maybe not good but but they thought it was okay like they thought like it was before they okay this is good let's let's put it on let's put it on air so it's before they knew the power of um, and of their properties, right? And and yeah. how yeah. successful yeah. they could actually be. It was, mm-hmm. um, and it, it, I think we need to give it a bit of um, grace again. I guess I use that word a bit of grace to the fact that it was the first one, mm-hmm. and they didn't even know whether it could have been done with live action. Mm. I think um, the X Men film was really one brought it all out and I just yeah. want, I wonder the thing that I find interesting is like I wonder how this besides the uh, the use of the, the sets how much influence it had on the film the X-Men film whether they saw the good nuggets of this and thought you know what let's let's actually put some money in this and see what we can do with it but it's different producers right perry because i think the i X believe so was, yeah the donners like yeah, lauren yeah. charlotte donner was like show running i'm not sure who was show running this thing <laughs> yeah i'm not sure but i know it wasn't it wasn't truly yeah running. i know that mm-hmm. much yeah um but yeah it's uh yeah, directed by jack shoulder written by eric blakeney whose names are not well known obviously <laughs> um but it, you know it was avi arad he was producing everything back but he was mm-hmm. an executive producer so it's not really right um David Russell, um, Matthew Edelman's so like nobody really well known, I'd say, as as far as producers go. Um, oh wow, the the director. Um, well, actually, this guy did Jack Shoulder. He directed uh, Arachnid and A Nightmare on Elm Street too. Hmm. 
So there you go. Wow. I, I know one of those things. I've seen both of those films, but a long time ago. So I don't know whether I would be able to say whether they were great or not, but I definitely know both of them. Um, I, I've only seen Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which I'm not going to say it's good, but I'll give it credit because it tried to do something different from that. It didn't just try to replicate the first Nightmare on Elm Street. It tried to it's do the something. dreamscape as well, right? It's the dream oh, no, the, dream, the dreamscape came. Yeah, what well, involves the dream stuff, but the, the big dreamscape with like the kids going on, that was that was three when Wes Craven came back. So I guess maybe he saw what Wes, Cra what, that Wes Craven made a better Nightmare on Elm Street sequel, and he thought, oh, I'm going to do that. Mm. <laughs> um, all right. But I think that about brings us to the end about, of this movie. Um, guys, you want to tell people where they can find you? Well, first, I should say yes. that you can, you can find all of us on, uh, if you enjoyed the three of us bantering, you can listen to e for Evolution dot transistor.fm that's our podcast where we talk about the the grant morrison x-men run um and oscar how about you any other places yeah you can uh, you can see my ramblings on twitter at odat220 um and you can find me in my tumblr which is perfect fabric j killing machine um i also have another uh podcast called crocoan exports um that i host with one of my good friends pat loika where we talk about the current Hickman era of X-Men. Um, and if you need more Emma Frost content in your life, I also mod the House of Frost group on Facebook. So check us out. Hey, great. Um, and as always, you can find us at SuperheroCinephiles.com and uh, Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, please give us a follow. Please give us a, a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And guys, thanks thanks so much for coming on. It was great having you on, on this show to talk about um, talk about a movie instead of uh, our usual comic chats for once. Likewise. Thank that's, you. That's true. Thanks for letting me, uh, giving me the uh ambition to watch that film again i actually enjoyed it for once i enjoyed it okay well good i'm glad you had a good I'm glad it wasn't too painful for you then so <laughs> okay Thanks, uh, that, guys thank you uh that does it for us and uh we'll talk to you next time you have been listening to the superhero cinephiles podcast follow us on twitter and instagram at super cinema pod join our facebook group by searching for superhero cinephiles where you can interact with us and other superhero fans if you'd like to support the show, you can become a regular supporter at Patreon or make a one-time donation through PayPal, both of which can be found at our website, SuperheroCinephiles.com. If you buy or rent any movies through the Amazon links at our site, it helps support the show. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.